HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Cheese Cupid, a wine and cheese pairing app. For more information, visit cheesecupid.com. I'm Laura Stanley, host of Inside School Food. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, and welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with what I think is one of the taller men of pastry, Nicholas Morgan Stern. How's How it going? Doing? Good, good. Um, I didn't call you Nick, even though we've known each other for a long time. Yeah, and I and, told you you could call me yeah. Nick if you wanted to. So <laughs> Now I'm going to keep on doing that just to kind of oh, conflate and save time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I've seen a lot of your career here in New York. I think we actually first met, you were kind of this... Uh, character lurking in the background of guilt. Oh, wow. um, yeah. yeah. So I, I knew of you, but I did not know you then. Ran into uh, Paul Liebrandt the other night at the reopening of Hearth. Yeah. And, uh, it was a good blast from the past. Yeah, yeah. It's a wild thing what happens in New York, how things kind of cyclically come. Because I also hadn't seen you in years, and then I was walking past El Rey in the Lower East Side, and there Obviously, we are. Yeah. There you were. The longer you stay in New York, the more you see how small it is and yeah. how, how close those circles of cycles come back together. Well, it also yeah. vets out the people that aren't lifers like we hope yeah, to be. I guess so. That's what they say about New York, right? It's a pressure cooker. So yeah. either you're here to stay or you're not. Well, but, why do you want to stay here? You're San Francisco. You're a Cali guy at heart. Um, I don't know if I'm a Cali guy at heart. I was raised there and I spent my early years there and I left when I was... I left when I was 18, and I moved around and lived in different places, lived in Europe, and I lived in Hawaii for a while, actually, and I moved to New York from Hawaii, and that was a, that was an intro into this place, but when I was young, people used to ask me if I was from New York, I think, because I was kind of intense, or maybe I didn't have a lot of patience or something like that, whatever it is, but I've been here now, this May will be 15 years that I've been living here, wow. and um, the places got its challenges and things that we all love about it. But at the end of the day, 
the people here are incredible. And every day I get to spend time with so many different kinds of people that are so inspiring that that's the reason that I stay here. I mean, I think that's emblematic of your trio of restaurants right now. Morganstern's Finest, which is your ice cream parlor. Um, El Rey, which is a cafe by day luncheonette. And then wonderful dinner service. Uh, I don't think people talk about how great dinner is there enough. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Um, and then Gigi's, which is your, your well, I know it also as Goat Town back in the day. Was, yeah, yeah. Um, but Gigi's has defined itself as such a neighborhood spot. Yep. Um, but it, it's not this echelon of fine dining that you were once used to. I mean, in San Fran, you started with Michael Mina. Yep, that's right. Working in a four-star restaurant called Aqua and definitely working on the the fine dining end of the spectrum. I think when I grew up cooking, like a lot of my contemporaries, um, back in the 90s and even in the early aughts, the only place, the, the places where food was really being taken seriously and where you could really... Um, get into it were fine dining places and now you have this cross section of so many different places that you can go and get really amazing cooking knowledge and experience that don't necessarily have tablecloths fine china and all of those steps of service that exist still in certain types of places but there's so many other places where you can learn how to cook and learn about food now when i was growing up and cooking if you wanted to take it seriously you worked in a in a high-end restaurant yeah i mean it's such place. a funny dynamic because while you were you know working for michael mina your father lived in the mission you know um right. where and when people ask me oh where do you go in san francisco for good food the first place i usually send people still is la taqueria yeah dude totally i grew up eating there and that's uh the Mission District has a long history, and it's interesting to see the food scene concentrated back in that neighborhood now where when I grew up there, the only food that you would get in that neighborhood was really hardcore culturally San Francisco Mexican food. That's the way that it was. And it's changed, obviously, now. But it's an amazing neighborhood, definitely, yeah. Yeah, but people's uh, refinement or kind of interaction with that kind of food has changed, you know, in the past 15, 20 years. Agreed. That there's respect. There's deep, deep respect, not only for the food itself, but the process yeah. and, and, you know, the history behind that. I agree, yeah. I mean... For me now, running places where we get to sell food, one of the most important things that we focus on every day is how we're providing value to our guest experience. And I think that we, we're sensitive. We, we, you know, I run businesses now, so we have to, you know, we got to pay the bills and make sure that everything is, you can't bounce payroll. So, but we, you know, we're really sensitive to making sure you mentioned that Gigi's is a neighborhood restaurant. And when, when I got together with my partners there to create that, um, that concept for that location, we really wanted to serve uh, pizza on a deck oven. That's much more, I think emblematic of what New York city style pizza is not like a wood burning hearth. And those types of pizzas are amazing. But what, what I wanted to do was that, and we were really focused also on making sure that we were going to engage and embrace the community. And that finds its way into all of the different items that we offer on the menu and making sure that we have enough different things for people to come three or four times a week if they want to. And also to make sure that the price is going to be something that you can find its way into lots of different budgets on a regular basis. Most importantly, you sell it by the slice. <laughs> That's a big part of the project. Yeah. yeah, man. Selling slices of pizza is crazy. Yeah. Well, yeah. the environments that you've created here in New York, too, are these very iconic, emblematic things of New York, but also kind of grab-and-go culture. Ice cream, 
coffee and pizza. <laughs> you know, people say that to me all the time. They're like, oh, you have some of the most favorite things of what New Yorkers love. I, that was not the way that it was mapped out. I mean, those were things that were anchors for our business, but also just things that made sense to me. But I didn't get together and say, well, I got to have these three things because then my next thing should be bagels if that was the way <laughs> that I was thinking and I don't have any plans to make bagels yeah. anytime soon. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, there's a surge in that right now. And, totally. Uh, rather than a trend follower, and I hate using the word trend, um, you have established yourself as someone who uses that nostalgia, but, uh, you know, incorporates innovation. I mean, let's talk about Morgan Stearns. I mean, it is at, at its core... You know, like a soda fountain. Yep. It's an ice cream parlor. Yeah. I mean, I call it a parlor. Yeah. And the difference, I think, between an ice cream shop or a scoop shop and a parlor is that you can sit down mm-hmm. and you can get service in whatever form. And you can have varying degrees of levels of service. But um, we, you know, we rented a space that was big enough that we could have seating. That was an important part of what I wanted to do there. And then offer you know, more things than just cups and cones. Yeah. Pretty simple. When you started the General Green in Brooklyn, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was considered a casual eatery. Again, a neighborhood um, destination. Um, And the ice cream aspect kind of came latter. You know, there was this cart outside. First of all, tell me about, I remember the wheels on that cart more than anything. Where did those come from? That ice cream cart was constructed by me and one other guy, this guy named Dexter, who's amazing welder and um we went and picked up uh motorcycle wheels off of an early model yamaha i think it was a 250 and that was one of the only bikes that has the same size wheel front and back because most bikes the front wheel is different size than the back wheel so we wanted two wheels that were the same and not have to buy two front wheels we break up a set or whatever so so the moto girl had a set of wheels it was crazy and it was it was the woman who runs moto girl it was her first motorcycle it was the wheels she had parted out her bike and she was nice enough to sell them to me and was very excited that they were going to go to this other use um on an ice cream cart so yeah though that that cart is so funny i built other carts since that are so much more streamlined and so much more nicely made but there's something about that cart um the little engine that could like and that cart sold a lot of ice cream in front of the general group. i mean the lines that snaked around that corner yeah, it's crazy but it was also seeing you seeing right. you there scooping i was there all day the time. in yeah. day out yeah i love ice cream man i can't help it it's yeah like, that's the last thing that i'll ever do for sure when, all these other things that i love but ice cream is the one thing that holds me down and when did that passion start were there ice cream places you frequented in california or was it a new york thing or was it traveling overseas i always loved ice cream i always loved eating ice cream swenson's in san francisco was like my spot where you could get like mint dips and things that were really classic but really amazing um but then i worked at the sir francis drake hotel in san francisco and i happened to start working there when they bought their first ice cream machine as a hotel they just it just happened to coincide that i started working there when they got a machine they had a new pastry chef and she ordered a machine and i got there when the machine was getting unpacked and they just stuck me on the machine i was the new guy and they said (coughs) and i you know whether I was like qualified to do it or not was not really the point. They were like, this just needs to get done. And I remember pulling ice cream out. And I had made ice cream before at other places, but I remember pulling ice cream out of that machine and saying, that I'm, this is something I'm going to do. And that was in, when was I there? 96, 
97. It was a long time ago. And then since I've always made ice cream and, and places I've worked under a lot of other chefs where, you know, they make ice cream their way and I've learned a lot of different things and then just sort of developed, um, a passion for it getting made a certain way. So the way that I make ice cream is not a way that I was ever taught to make ice cream. It was something that evolved. And when I worked for Zach Palaccio at five ninth in the meatpacking district, he and I talked about kind of different ice cream flavors. I was introduced to durian by him, which is still a, a flavor that stays on the Morgan Stern's menu. All that we never can move that flavor. It's very popular. Um, and, and he, that was where I first got the idea that, a restaurant should have an ice cream cart in front of it. And then I did do a lot of research and figure out how you do that legally. And then when I, then when I went to Brooklyn years later and opened the general green, we were able to do it. There it was like that particular real estate location would allow us to some, some places you can't do it. So, so we were able to do that there. And then I just kind of rogue started making the product, but I did buy the machine there um, that still makes all of our ice cream at Morgan Stearns to this day. And um, we just were lucky enough there to just test it out. And, and if we hadn't been so supported by the community of the neighborhood and of New York, I don't think Morgan Stearns would exist today, mostly because I wouldn't have believed that it was possible. You know, the business model and the business plan, I would have, it just doesn't, you know, it, does, it doesn't make sense. And it's from an outside perspective, Morgan Stearns, is the only one of my businesses that I've ever had and still have to this day that I'm the only person. I own the whole thing. That there's no investor. There's no partner. And and I other people saw it and they were like, you're nuts. It's not going to go. And I just put everything I had on it and said, I'm going to give it a shot. Yeah. That was it. I and mean, your name on the marquee. <laughs> you can't walk away <laughs> from that. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> if you do that, and I did that because I was like, well, if you do that, you can't you got to just bring it. Yeah. That's all you can do if your but, name is on it. But, I mean, like you said, th this is 20 years in the works, really. Yeah, at different, different stages of doing different things along the way. And I'm very passionate about um, having restaurants and doing that as well and understanding what it means to uh, bring food to the table and then how people interact with that experience. And I consider myself to be so fortunate to be in this industry at this time because – it's different. I, I hang out with guys that are a lot older than I am and I obviously have a lot of people working for me that are younger than I am and I'm just here at a certain time where it's evolved so much. Like El Ray, Morgan Stearns, Gigi's, those things could not have existed ten years ago. It just wouldn't have been possible. The market wouldn't have supported it and you know um, now we have social media and we can connect with our customers and, you know, I, we put something on social media on Tuesday morning and by Tuesday night it's sold out. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. That's nuts, and you're man. telling me you're not good at social media. I'm not. I don't, <laughs> we're, we're so behind. I was, I see other people out there that are just yeah. like crushing that communication, yeah. but I just know that as a tool, it's, uh, it's something that makes small business possible. It really yeah. is. You know? Well, you also have paired yourself with amazing creative individuals. Um, as far as chefs go, I mean, Bobby Helen at Gigi's has yep. uh, um, a resume that, amazing, that yeah. it's just wonderful here in New York. Bobby and I have known each other for a long time. He's amazing. Yeah. He's like amazing guy to work with. And anyone who knows him knows that, you know. Not a hothead, not ego driven, and just puts up like the food well, in the window. Unless it comes to the Mets, he's not even a hothead about that. He just loves the. That's Don't, love. Yeah. No, I'm telling you, yeah. he loves the Mets, and 
oh man this year that was rough yeah oh man, that was rough <laughs> and then you have gerardo who you know is exposed he's sitting there in front of everybody yeah. watching over the food and interacting with people in this wonderfully genuine manner totally yeah he's amazing and gerardo has been with me for a long time and is amazingly talented and is not only amazingly talented with his palate and his food but also loves interacting with his customer and really his community i mean that's really how he has cultivated that business and has been unbelievably successful at it um he's amazing gerardo's amazing but what is the common thread i mean yes Morgan Stearns has your name on it, sure. but these other two businesses are yours as well. And they are, there are these kind of continuities. Mm-hmm. Um, what makes a Morgan Stern restaurant a Morgan Stern restaurant? Man, I mean, we, I work so uh, we work all the time. Everyone who works closely with me works so many hours and we spend so much time um, contemplating how we fit into our communities. So I think when I approach a project, mostly we're looking at how are we going to benefit the neighborhood or the community that we that we are in. And right now I'm in all of my stores. I can walk between all of them. And I hope that it stays that way for a long time. As you grow, you know, opportunities move further away. But um, I could have put Morgan Stearns in the West Village. And I looked at stores in the West Village, like further over um, Hudson Street and 7th Avenue. And like, I would ride my bicycle over there and come back, and it took too long. I was like, I can't do this. It's too far from my base. So it's really good for me to be right in the neighborhood together, and then it allows us to do things with all three stores, with the community. So we did the Feast of the Seven Fishes for Christmas a couple weeks ago, and we had Russ and Daughters, uh, El Rey, and Morgan Stearns, and it was like a traveling dinner. And those we've done a few of those things. They're very successful, and it really brings everyone together um, it's an amazing way for us to, again, like engage our community. Yeah, and I think the most photographed dessert since that Cosme meringue was that creme fraiche and caviar. Oh, cool. Dish, I, yeah. yeah, I mean, people were definitely taking shots of that. It was funny. We we talked about doing that, and I was like, I don't know. This might be a little bit – how are we going to get fish and dessert? Yeah. <laughs> that was the question, and I was like, I'm not making salmon ice cream, you know. And then we did it, and we ate it, and we were like, wow, this is really delicious. And so many people came in, and they – the – that little blue plate was really homage to Russ and Daughters. I defined those plates. I was like, we got to have something and then went. So then that thing shot really well and it looked so much like a Russ and Daughters inspired dessert. And that's what we wanted that to be about. So, yeah, that was fun. Excellent. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and talk more about that trifecta of ice cool. cream, coffee and pizza. You've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back.
play matchmaker with the Wisconsin Cheese Cupid app. A tap here, a tap there. With the Cheese Cupid app, you can quickly discover the perfect cheese and drink pairings from the convenience of your own palm. For more information, visit CheeseCupid.com. Hey, and welcome back to the Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Trickell, here with Nicholas Morgan Stern. So, again, pizza, ice cream, coffee, in whatever fashion. Sometimes you start off with an ice cream, you end with a coffee. But Morgan Stern's is open early. Yeah. People in there in the morning. Yesterday I walked up, I swim early in the morning, and then I go to the parlor, and I walked up at... It wasn't 9 o'clock, and the lady was in the window eating a banana split. That's awesome. I was like, wow. I'm the same way. I'm a swimmer in the morning, um, and I don't use it as a way to necessarily diet. It just makes me feel better. It yeah. may, it, it's, it's a health thing, but I usually reward myself with something like that. I eat and after it, swimming. you got to eat after you swim. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. if only Morgan Stern was closer to the pool I swim in, <laughs> I, would be in I would be in danger. There's, yeah, you would. There's people that eat. You know what people love for breakfast on the ice cream is uh, milkshakes. Yeah. That's somehow, it's like a smoothie or something. Yeah, yeah. I see a lot of milkshakes go out in Convince yourself that. Well, I mean, then you've also done this kind of avocado toast riff. Tell me about that. The avocado toast was something that came up when we did breakfast with Brutal Magazine, um, Anastine and Gianna. And we were writing a menu of sort of like... Uh, interesting breakfast items that you might find in kind of like a strange upside down ice cream parlor. And so avocado toast was born there. We use Japanese white bread um, to make another dessert, which is like a really rich, um, delicious wonder bread. And so we toast that or we caramelize it. And in Japan, they have dessert, like honey toast is a dessert, different versions of toasted, soaked in honey, soaked in condensed milk, cream, ice cream. There's all these different versions. So we do a version of that. So we have that bread. So we basically just were toasting that bread and making an avocado ice cream that's not super sweet, but is I'd say is a little bit savory, and and uh, then it gets drizzled with olive oil and uh, condensed milk, and we thought it would be kind of funny to maybe kill the avocado toast <laughs> craze because it's a little, it's a little crazy. Listen, back in the day, Cafe Jatan, avocado toast, that was it. Yeah, and no other restaurateur would touch that because that was his, that was his thing, and now. It's like avocado toast everywhere. I don't know what changed. Something changed, and now everyone serves avocado toast. It's delicious. Yeah. Anything with avocado is delicious. So we thought that was funny. We did it for that menu. It was one of the most popular things. We still have it available in the store until noon. It's kind of it's not on the menu anywhere, but people come in asking for it, and we serve it to them. It's delicious. I mean, that's the other thing is when we ate it, we were like, wow, this is good. It is, it is tasty. And it's kind of a breakfast I can I can be convinced. Again, I'm convinced that a banana split is breakfast. For someone, I, it is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, then there are other flavors. We mentioned the durian, um, yep. which is a very distinct, yes. musky. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't know it. I'm going to describe it. Yeah. Because I've had to, I've I've had actually, to describe yeah, it. Yeah. It is, <laughs> it's a little bit banana, and it's a little bit like Vidalia onion. And it's got the same funk as a very ripe cheese. So it's like those three things... 
if you eat it, then you can kind of see that those compounds actually are in the durian, the same compounds. So it's a little bit of an onion flavor. It's a little bit of a banana flavor, and it's a little bit of like a cheese yeah. flavor. Our, bana- our durian flavor is banana durian, and it's 50% banana, and it's still Oh, it's dur- I've, I've tasted it. It it's is powerful. durian. Because my first experiences with it is I worked at a restaurant, and they said, Oh, yeah. Do you know what this is? And they said, no. They said, open it outside. <laughs> yeah. It's, we open them in the store. We process that stuff. And it's, uh, I, can, I mean, you can smell it. And we, I can smell it when we're processing the ice cream after the durian's been processed. So it's a stinky, it's a stinky yeah. fruit. With the, with the, when, when I put durian on the menu in the very beginning, first week we were open, um, shipped in the durians, made the batch, made one small batch of ice cream, three gallons, and then went about our day and sold for four days we it was a friday night saturday sunday and then a monday was memorial day and we were closed on the tuesday and when we came back on the wednesday everyone came to me and said we're out of the durian there's no more and i said that's not possible we didn't sell a full round of durian in four days and i looked through every freezer and sure enough we had sold all the durian ice cream and so then we didn't have it for a few days because i hadn't ordered the durian and this was our first week that we were open and so many people came in looking for it that I've never taken it off the menu since. Yeah. And it is a polarizing flavor. Most people don't like it. Um, either you love it or you hate it. It can be an acquired taste. I acquired a taste for it. And now it's something that we always have to have on. And it brings people in. It brings in families of Filipinos <laughs> who come and the dad is like, check this out. And the daughter's like, oh, dad, you're so gross. And yeah. he's ordering durian. I mean, I... I don't know if you have yet, but hollow, hollow on the menu soon. Maybe we try to keep it spread. I can yeah. only run like forty flavors at a time, and then we have. Oh, sorry, only forty flavors. A of, at that's a, time. a lot of. No, well, that's kind of like our limit in that store. Yeah, we're just we we only have so much space, so we run forty, and then there's like wild cards that come in. We do flavors with other people. There's always something else happening, so that's kind of like our max for what we can do. And so you know, we take things off the menu, we put other things on the menu, and. We're going to change the whole menu uh, probably in about a month and a half, which we haven't done that since we opened. And I'm missing things. I'm missing butter pecan. Like that's that was my grandfather's flavor. That was Grandpa Morgenstern's flavor, and I don't have it right now. There's a couple things that I really feel like we need to have on the menu. I need a cookies and cream flavor. I really want to do that. I'm I'm looking at. I want the nostalgic american flavors represented and we have interesting things like green tea pistachio Mm -hmm. is one of our top sellers salted caramel pretzel is still a top seller raw milk yeah man that flavor um i developed that flavor with paul liebrandt and liebrandt is one of he's probably the chef that i worked with that has the most refined palate for dessert he really knows his dessert and he really has a focused vision and he wanted that flavor we just were making a chocolate tart with raw milk ice cream we also that that dessert wound up being chocolate tonka bean which is a pole bean from uh, central america that sort of tastes like vanilla cinnamon to similar profile and raw milk ice cream an unbelievable combination together and that is when I got hooked on that flavor. He and I developed that. It took us a long time to get that recipe to come out right with no eggs. And then, so now that's a fla- that's like a sleeper flavor on the menu. Yeah, no, it but is. But once people get it, then they're like, whoa. It has such purity to it. Yeah. And, I mean, so does the American egg. Agreed. And at the same time, yeah. you know, you have, what, 
five vanillas and four chocolates for the five, people that were worried there was too chocolates. much durian. Yeah. Five chocolates. There's, yeah, always five vanillas, always five chocolates. And then uh, right now we're running three coffees, three caramels, three strawberries. You know, those those profiles and those categories are really important to represent um, because those 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 categories are defining for people. So that's why we have so many choices, and that's something that I learned along the way. I opened the store that way. Yeah. I just had this idea, and that was what I wanted to do, and it's worked really well for us. What kind of vanilla are you? Me, myself? Yeah, and I didn't mean that in a broader demographic way. <laughs> Which vanilla yeah. do I like? Okay, <laughs> off of my menu, you know, I like vanilla that we don't we we had lemon vanilla on the menu for a long time and it didn't sell so i took it off it would be that or the honey vanilla which is burnt honey we burn the honey and then make a vanilla for me those two fla- i actually love them all the bourbon vanilla is like classic but bourbon and vanilla is a classic combo to me that's a classic combination sells really well i love bourbon and ice cream i think it just marries really really well um all of our beans come from madagascar our madagascar vanilla ice cream is killer you know I now if I sit at the parlor in the summertime and I sit outside and I eat a cone I love eating ice cream in front of my own places Mm -hmm. I love that so I sit in front of the store on the bench and eat a cone now I eat the cake cone which is the flat bottom cone with one scoop of vanilla ice cream plain vanilla ice cream on it and that's like a little kid's ice cream yeah that really is what a little kid would eat and I eat that and I'd feel so good is that nepotism since it's your baby (laughs) not narcissism I mean, I I love ice cream. I love Haagen-Dazs. I love the Haagen-Dazs ice cream bars. I love It's It out of San Francisco. Is like, for me, is the most, is the definition of an ice cream sandwich. Oh, And I, if you don't know, I'll tell you, five flavors, strawberry, chocolate, vanilla, mint, uh, coffee, and then they also do a pumpkin in the season, and it's two oatmeal cookies, and the whole thing is dipped in chocolate, and it's it's just a perfect it's a perfect ice cream sandwich because of the ratio of ice cream to cookie, because of the density of the cookie, because of the chocolate on the outside and because you can get the thing anywhere and it's not, um, it's, it's not like a precious item and you can get them here in New York. If you want to check it out, they have them at provisions. They usually are pretty well stocked over there. It's not the same as eating it in San Francisco. That's where they're from. That's where they're made. Um, and I, that sounds so silly, but I get it out there and I no. eat it there and I'm I mean, like, wow. That's the same reason people come to Morgan's <laughs> Turns. That's the same reason people co- go to El Rey and Gigi's as well to be in that space because what we really haven't talked about is how visually grabbing all those places mm. are, how beautiful the spaces are, how comfortable they are. Um, and I'm you know, obsessed with the design. Of yeah, things I am. Yeah, and I, I remember yeah. when Gigi's was Goat Town, and you were building out this backyard. Uh, what is it? Eighteen. Um, you know, raised beds. Yeah, and you get a lot of your ingredients from there. But it, yep. it, it's it's a sense of space. It's a feeling that you get while walking through those doors that is almost as important as the food. I agree. I think. I mean, we eat in spaces, and we have choices to go to spaces. So. I design all the stores. I work with a lot of really talented people, um, but I usually have an idea or a vision for how I think something should look. It's usually based on first having the idea of what the place is going to be and then figuring out what the trappings, what I think the trappings are on that. We we do everything really um, on our own, so we never have big budgets, so we don't work with um, big architecture firms or engineering firms. I mean, I've worked with those people. It can be amazing, but it also can create a lot of layers of separation between um, 
you as the person who's trying to, you know, communicate something and the space. And there's a lot of things that can happen in between that once you get those layers of people having their hands on it. Um, so we've been lucky. All of our spaces are small. Our projects are small. Our budgets are small. We do the work ourselves. And um, Gigi's has a certain look. Uh, you know, I was just there yesterday and I was like looking at the ceiling and checking out how we have our trim detail and stuff like that. And um, there's places in New York um, that communicate that Raul's to me design and Raul's is like so quintessentially New York, um, Fort Defiance, the design in that place, nobody talks about that place. And they, that guy crushed that design, like go in there and sit at the bar and have a cocktail. And his, the Irish coffee there is as the New York times quoted best in the known world. It's bananas. It is absurd. And the design, like to be able to pull off that seafoam green on the walls with that level of trim detail, those light fix, like you, it's so difficult. Even when you have designers and big budgets and all this stuff, that guy just crushed that space. I think Gramercy Tavern, especially the tavern room. And you have these places in New York that were, this is our town and you're here. And it's so inspiring to go into these stores and see these places. Well, I want to talk about the small spaces kind of to round out the show because I can't think of a smaller, more personal space in a car. And you, you know, there was a, there was an instant where you almost became an auto mechanic rather than went into the sweeter side of things. Yes. Um, and we were just talking over the break about the 72 Datsun. Yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed with Datsuns because they are so hardworking and they never quit. And I, for some reason, I identify with that. And that was my first car was a 510. And that thing would never quit. And Datsun 510 won the Trans Am 2.5 championship in 1972 two and swept porsche alfa romeo and bmw dominated that series forever and this little car from japan that was made out of recycled coca-cola cans won this race that was dominated by europeans and that's what that's how the datsun brand became what it is today and then turned into nissan nissan was datsun before so i've had so many 510s i love these i just love these cars i can't even explain how much i love it and i just picked up a wagon for this year to enter in the SCCA um, amateur race, which is really just, it's a closed circuit race, which means you don't race on a track with other cars. You race against the clock. Um, but I bought it really so that I can have our, our representation of our businesses, but also representation of the other businesses. I work with so many other amazingly talented restaurateurs here in New York city. Um, we've got the Brodo connection with Marco Canora from hearth and, I work with Ivan Ramen and um, Matt Danzer over at Uncle Boone's. Like, I can't even list. I mean, we've done flavors at the ice cream parlor with over 40 people in a year. Jessica Coslow Squirrel. Coslow's amazing. Raj. Yep. Those, I mean, Jody Williams did three flavors for us. We've had so many. I can't even remember. Pam like Young. A, Pam Young. Amazing. Amazing working with Pam. Her fig leaf ice cream. So I have this. I bought this car. It's, I mean, I'm in love with these cars. And I've justified it um, for the business that we'll have something that we can, again, use as a medium. I'd rather spend my money on something like that. It's super fun. But it also gives us a chance to do something with our community and maybe get a little bit of advertising out of it as well yeah that's how that's going to work for us so yeah and the car those cars are small yeah real small and again you really have very little to work with you have an interior an exterior a di- i mean everything is assumed you you walk into a car and you know how to drive it yep. and you know where everything is so it's it's about the details interesting that you're making that connection between 
all of my super small stores yeah. and my super you, small you cars. You are the Datsun of New York. You, I might be. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, if you have not been to you know this beautiful trio of restaurants day in day out, I mean it's morning, noon, and night. Yep. These these are this close to being twenty four hour. Yeah, close. Yeah. yeah. I've been thinking about something twenty four hours. Yeah, you get your rest. I will. You know, you got to drive that closed circuit track eventually. But stop by Morgan Stearns for breakfast, have a milkshake, El Rey luncheonette, Gigi's for a slice or you know, a cocktail at night. But whatever it may be check out those details cool thanks for having me michael thanks for being on nick you've been listening to the food sound on heritage radio network.org here's michael harlan turkel hoping to have you back here next tuesday at three cheers thanks for listening to this program on heritage radio network.org you can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.